All right. Well, good morning. We're so glad you guys are here. It's been a beautiful weekend, beautiful weather. There's a million things going on right now in our community. You got Bourbon and Beyond, which I missed last night, and the Yvette Brothers are like one of my favorite bands ever. But I had a wedding, and so I had to celebrate love instead. And so uh, we have that. You know, there's a Bourbon Festival in Bardstown. There's a whole lot of stuff going on because it's that time of year where it's just nice and people want to be outside and doing things. So that's a quick reminder that in just a couple of weeks is our Fall Fest. So if you've never been to our Fall Fest, we take over the city of Shepherdsville for a day. It's a huge event. Four to 5,000 people come. We have all kinds of vendors, live music, food trucks. It all takes place in the park right across the street from us. Uh, so we'd love to have you and your family if you're in town that weekend for Fall Fest. Um, but also to advertise it, uh, we have a ton of these signs out in the lobby. So if you want to put one of these in your yard or if you have a business and you can put one of these up to help us out or if you just want to put up in your neighbor's yard, whatever you want to do, uh, just take one of these. You can grab them by the Welcome Center. We have a ton of them. Uh, it just helps us kind of advertise Fall Fest and everything going on. And again, like I said, we've been doing this for a few years now. And that's not going to happen again. All right, and so uh, it's awesome. And so that I know Jordan's at Celebrate Recovery. It's a great ministry opportunity. Uh, it, it helps people uh, through uh, addiction recovery and stuff like that. And so we offer that every Wednesday. It's a great program. The people that run it are amazing. And so if you know somebody that could benefit from that, make sure and stop by and get some information. So today we are going to get a little heavy. Um, and it's going to be a little different than kind of where we've been. Kind of in the same idea. This Ember series is all about faith and different places we find ourselves in faith. And so um, part of this we've talked about before. And so if you've been around for years, you'll probably remember years ago, we talked about part of this, but this is just something that's very real in our culture we have to talk about. And to start it off, I want to tell you about Dr. P Peter Rollins. Uh, he's an Irish philosopher and theologian. And several years ago, he was coming to Los Angeles, uh, one of his first times in America. And he was coming from Belfast, Ireland, which is a very dark and kind of dreary place, uh, not be just because of the weather and that type of thing. And so he gets on a plane. He goes from kind of dreary Belfast, Ireland to sunny and bright Los Angeles, uh, you know, the place where there's beaches and everything's great and all this stuff. And so he gets there and here's his observation that he makes that he gives in during this lecture that he's given kind of about what he sees. And he says this, the truth is, it seems to be even darker and colder over here. Now, remind you, he comes from Belfast, Ireland, which is dark and cold. All right. You feel this sense everywhere you go in which you should be happy. I should feel better. I should be having more fun. If you sit at home, there's this tyranny of feeling like you should be out doing something. There's this tyranny of happiness. You should have more stuff, be fulfilling your dreams. If you go out and you're sitting at a coffee shop or a bar, you get this feeling that everyone is cooler than me, better looking than me, and having a better life than me. And his observation that he saw when he got here and kind of got into the culture was there seems to be this thing that happens where just people don't feel good about themselves and they struggle and, and there's this sense in which there's all of these things that are going on around them and he said you know we live in this culture where there should be all of this connection but he notices a great disconnection in people great loneliness in people culture where we suffer from things like worry and anxiety and stress and depression where we experience things like FOMO. If you don't know what FOMO is, it's the fear of missing out. That You may be doing something, or maybe we live in the culture where we're afraid to commit to something because we're worried something better will come along. We have a culture that is self-medicating in the most unhealthy of ways. 
And the reality is, as we look at it from an outside perspective, if there was ever a time where we should feel okay, it might be now. I mean, the advancements that we have in modern technology and science and medical field, the advancements we have, the knowledge we have. I mean, most of us in this room have one of these things. And with this thing, we have all of the information we could ever want, all of the knowledge we could want. It's a way to stay connected, so to speak, to everyone we would ever want. And yet we feel all of this tension. And some of us, the reality is, is we're not okay. Sometimes the people with the brightest smiles have the deepest and darkest fears and doubts in their hearts. And I don't need to get into the statistics, although they are overwhelming if you look into them, especially with younger generations. The amount of people that deal with Anxiety, crippling anxiety, worry, and depression. And so there's all these statistics, and again, they're overwhelming, but let's just be honest, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that, but I guarantee you that everybody in here knows someone that struggled, or they themselves are struggling, or have struggled with depression, anxiety, crippling fear. It's not far from us, it's a real part of our life, but it's something we don't often talk about, especially in the church. And some of us, it's a part of our own struggle. I can even tell you that there have been seasons in my life where I feel an overwhelming sense of disconnection. I feel this kind of incompleteness at times. And so we run from things when we feel like this rather than the things we need to run towards. And so um, what we want to do is just have an open conversation about these seasons of life. Now to set this up, we're going to look at a story. Uh, it's from the Old Testament. Uh, it's in 1 Kings. It's probably a story that you've heard some again, like I've preached about it before. Um, but it's the story about a guy named Elijah. Now Elijah is considered to be one of the greatest prophets for God that's ever lived. I mean, he, he did all of these amazing things. So like he's on the team, like, and, and he's got this connection with God. Um, and, and what's interesting about the story we're going to look at today is it literally takes place right after Elijah's probably biggest moment of faith. And so to set up some context, um, in the culture that they find themselves in, there are two people that have kind of started to rule this area. And there's a guy named Ahab, not from Moby Dick. And then there's a lady um, named Jezebel. Now, she's considered to be one of the wickedest women to ever live. You don't see a lot of children named Jezebel anymore, okay? And there's a reason for it. And so she's this wicked woman, and so they're ruling this region. And part of their goal is they, walk, they worship Baal, the Baal gods, the Baal gods. And so um, essentially their, their kind of mission is to kind of wipe out all of these other faith groups, including this group that, that is the Israelites and, and the God that Elijah represents. And so all of this drama takes place between these two groups, and eventually it gets to have this showdown. And so they build these two altars. And so we talked about altars last week a little bit in the Abraham story and what they represent. And so they get on top of this mountain because the gods are up. So you go up, you build an altar so it's even higher, and then you would burn these sacrifices so that this smoke, the incense from these sacrifices would make it way to the gods. So they take two altars, they do them. And so you have the bell gods and there's 950 of them and there's just Elijah by himself. So the scene is, what we're going to do is we're going to pray to our gods and we're going to see which god does a work so that the people know which god is actually in charge, which one's the most powerful. 
And so the story goes that these 950 um, bell prophets and, and priests, um, they start praying and chanting and doing all of this stuff. And you got to imagine, it's quite a scene. There's 950 of them kind of around this altar. And so they're doing all of this. And then eventually gets to the point, as we talked about last week, uh, that the gods may require more of you than just chanting and praying. And so there's even a part in the story where they start to like mutilate themselves. They start to cut themselves and do all of these things because they want their gods to respond. And this goes on for a while, and Elijah starts to taunt them. He starts saying things like, well, maybe the problem is your gods aren't available. Maybe they're indisposed. Maybe they're going to the bathroom. You know, like, maybe that's what's going on. Let's give it some time. And eventually it gets to the point where they've done this for a while, nothing's happening. And then it's Elijah's turn to show what his God can do. And so he goes to his altar, and he looks at the people around, his servants. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take this altar, and I want you to just cover it in water. Like, not just the altar, but everything around it. Now, for you guys that don't know basic science, um, water and fire are not a good combination, right? They don't work. So that's kind of the point, is he's going to get this thing completely saturated to where nobody would believe that this thing could actually catch on fire. And so he gets it completely saturated, and he offers up like this simple prayer, and God sends down fire from heaven. It incinerates not only his altar, but the altar of the other gods, and it's like this amazing scene of God coming through. And then what happens is all of these guys are mad, so they want to kill Elijah. So God gives him the strength, and I know these are one of those hard-to-believe stories, but gives him the strength and gives him a sword. And he actually takes out all 950 of the Bell prophets. Like, it's like Rambo. You know, you ever seen Rambo where he takes on like an entire country and wins? That's Elijah right now, okay? I mean, Rambo took on the North Korean army by himself. And so, uh, so this is Elijah. He takes care of all this. It's like this amazing moment. And that's why this is so important. Because for some of us, when it comes to faith, and while we only have embers of faith left, is because this is our belief. If God ever showed up for me like he did for Elijah, then I'd be good. Like, you know, like if God showed up for me like he just did for Elijah, like I would never doubt again. Because the problem you think when it comes to God is that God just hasn't shown big, big enough. The reason you doubt, the reason you fear, the reason you're stressed out, you're anxious, you're depressed... The reason that you feel the way is because God hasn't sent the fire from heaven into your life. If that's what you think, you just need to hold on. So all of this scene unfolds. And so a couple of the messengers that survived, they go back to King Ahab and to Jezebel. And they tell them what's happened, that this guy, basically, that worships this God, has taken out not only all of your prophets and priests, but also made a mockery of you and the gods that you worship. And so Jezebel, again, wicked woman, uh, she replies like this in 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Essentially what she's saying is, Elijah, I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. Now, if you're Elijah, and you just saw happen what happened, and you saw the way that God was able to work not only around you, but also with you, like, you would think that would give you, like, enough faith to, like, be good for, like, a week, right? The very next day. 
See, if I'm Elijah and I hear this woman has a problem with me and I just took out 950 prophets with a sword, I'm like, bring it, woman. Like, you know, what are you going to do, right? But not Elijah. Listen to the very next line. Elijah, verse 3, was afraid and ran for his life. And see, that's the problem, isn't it? You see, from outsiders' perspectives, for some of us, when it comes to seasons of depression and worry and anxiety, see, everybody else would look at our situation and be like, you should be good. You got a good life. You got a good family. You got good resources. Like everything is good. So everybody else would look at your life and say, I don't understand why you feel this way. I don't understand why this is going on. I don't understand why you feel like this. But yet inside, you have this overwhelming feeling. I mean, everybody else thinks you should be good, but you aren't. So why is Elijah fearful and anxious? And why am I fearful and anxious at times? And why are you fearful and anxious at times? And so the simple answer is simply this. It's because we're human, which is what we are. And it's this feeling that we get that, you know, we thought it would be different than it is. I mean, imagine Elijah, like, I just took out 950 prophets. Like, can I be done now? And then all of a sudden, now he's got this other threat. You ever felt like that? Like, you have this big trial you're going through, this big season you're going through, and you make it through, and you're victorious, and everything's great. And then the next day, here comes the next thing. It can feel overwhelming. Now, I tell you that because I'm actually really encouraged by the story of Elijah. And the reason I'm encouraged is because if this guy could have one of the most powerful moments in his life and God show up for him, and yet he still feels the way that he feels the next day, then maybe it's okay how you and I feel sometimes. See, we see in this moment that that he, he runs, But what we're going to see in a minute is when he runs, he doesn't run by himself. God runs with him. And and see, here's the thing. Um, When you run from God or when you go through these seasons, what a lot of people will tell you is, you know, some some really silly things and they're trying to help you out. But the reality is, is that when you feel like this, you feel far from God. But the reality is you may actually be closer to God than than you think. See, the cultural stigma is that if you're struggling with mental illness or struggling with depression or anxiety or a sense of despair, um, that, that maybe it's, you know, like this feeling that God's not close to you. And that doesn't mean that at all. You know, I mean, you know, people will tell you when you're struggling, like, you just need to have more faith. You ever been told that? You just need to pray more, which you should. You need to go to church. You should. But here's what happens is you have these feelings that you don't even know where they're coming from. You don't even know how to control them. And now all of a sudden people tell you what the problem is. You don't have enough faith. So now on top of everything else that you're dealing with, now you feel guilt and shame. And so if we don't go any further and you don't hear anything else that I say today, here's what I want to tell you, right? I'm releasing you of that feeling of guilt and shame. Maybe you don't know how to deal with anxiety yet. Maybe you don't know how to deal with the feelings that you have. Maybe you don't know how to deal with the loneliness or insignificance, whatever you're going through, because you, but you can let go of the guilt and shame. It doesn't mean you're not connected to God. 
And it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. In fact, the reality is if you're here and you're going through a season like you're going through or whatever it is that you're going through, you might actually have the strongest faith of all because you keep hoping and waiting for what feels like an impossible miracle to happen in your life. For the clouds to part and the sun to shine again, you may be weary, you may have wrestled with doubt, you may question where God is in the middle of all of this darkness you feel, but you're here. And you still believe that something better is possible. And that's amazing. Now, I think what happened to Elijah is what happens to a lot of us. Sometimes we get in these seasons, and, and, and part of the problem is you can't a better imagine a better tomorrow. You can't imagine a better you. You're stuck in this cyclical kind of issue of seeing only the most negative future possible. And so you mix that up with everything else that's going on, and all of a sudden now we live in a world where we try to control everything, and now all of a sudden it feels like everything's out of control. And all you see, and I'm not, I'm not belittling it or I'm not making it small, but here's what happens. When you get in that season, all you see is a negative outcome. You can't see a better tomorrow. So Elijah's in this place and he ran. And when he runs, he does one of the biggest mistakes we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Um, in the story, he has these servants who've been faithful to him. And he leaves his servants behind and he runs by himself. Which here, Here's what happens. He isolates himself in the moment he needed people around him the most. And so he goes on a day's journey, the Bible tells us, into the wilderness. And it's like this imagery the Bible paints that... His soul is in a wilderness, and so he runs to the wilderness. And he comes to this place where he comes to this broom bush, and he sets down underneath it because he's exhausted from everything that's going on, and he prayed. Which is like, all right, we're on the right track. Like, he feels overwhelmed. He prays. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pray to God when you feel overwhelmed. Um, except for this. Here, here's his prayer, all right? I've had enough, Lord, verse 4. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. You ever felt like that? Or know somebody that's felt like that? It's just too much. I can't do it anymore. God, you put all this stock in me. People tell me how great I am. I'm this. Listen, I'm no better than anybody else. Why even waste your time and my time? He's come to the end of himself. He did not want to live one more day. He just couldn't take it. And so he asked God to take it from him. And then he falls asleep. Now, <clears throat> I think this is interesting because here's what I know from a practical standpoint. Have you ever noticed that when you're overwhelmed by life, you just don't have any energy? You ever notice that? Like when you're in this season of all these things going on, like you, you just don't have any energy and your energy is less and less because mentally, physically, emotionally, you just feel wore out. And so you feel like you have nothing left. And so eventually he gets to this, this place where he's just done. He, he's done mentally. He's exhausted. He's wore out. And so he's prayed this prayer that God would end it for him and he falls asleep because he's got nothing left. And when he falls asleep after all of this, Here's what it says in verse 6. All at once an angel touched him and said, You lousy, lazy, unbelieving, faithless prophet. Why in the world did God waste his time with you? 
Now, you heard some people laugh because that's not in the Bible. <laughs> but that's what some of you think, isn't it? You think, look, I got nothing. See, maybe you, you know, don't know this. That's like a subtle conversation in church sometimes. There's something wrong with you. And maybe you even believe that about yourself. Why would God waste his time? No, this is actually what the angel says. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over some hot coals, just some embers, and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then he laid down again. You ever been there? You ever been in like that season where everything feels so overwhelming that like you're like, all right, I'm going to stay in bed all day. And then you're like, you got to eat something. So you get up, you shove some donuts in your mouth, you drink some Mountain Dew and you go back to bed, right? Okay. I don't like Mountain Dew or donuts, but some people do. All right. So, um, so you've been there. Like you've, you know what this is talking about. Like that season, we're like, okay. So then verse seven. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, strengthened by the food because he had to take care of himself. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, a couple practical things before we get into the spiritual side of the story. So here's what I know. We are spiritual beings trapped inside of physical bodies. And the better way to look at it is we're not even separate. It's not spiritual and physical. It's all intertwined. We're, we're just a being, okay? And, and so here's the thing. Um, sometimes what happens to us is when we feel emotionally and spiritually overwhelmed, we don't take care of ourselves, do we? We don't eat well. We don't sleep well. And so what happens, and this is the thing I've noticed and observed, is when you're not taking care of yourself, and here's what you have to know, sometimes you have to let the physical side of you get healed in order for the spiritual side to be able to catch up. I mean, think about it like this. Like when you're in these bad seasons and these bad emotional states or whatever it is, what are you pouring into your body and what are you pouring into your mind, right? Right? What are, you, what are you putting in there? Like, like some of us, when we don't feel good, we're having going through, not like sick, but like when we just don't feel good, we're in a bad spot. We eat terribly, right? What is the nutritional value of Cheetos? Does anybody know? Right? The answer is it's not, right? It's not nutritious at all, but we'll eat a whole bag of them, some Doritos. We'll eat a large, you ever been to that place? Because I have, you eat a large pizza by yourself and you're like, there's something wrong here, right? It's only happened once. Don't judge me. All right. <laughs> So we, we do this, we eat terribly. Some of us try to medicate ourselves with stuff that doesn't help, right? And then what we do is we pour Netflix into our brains, right? Rather than read something that might help you or spend some time praying or talking to a friend with some wisdom, we're just gonna binge watch Virgin River, you know, or whatever it is that we're watching now, right? Or what we do is this. We just get on our phone and we just do this for hours and hours and hours and all of a sudden now you're sitting in bed and now it's two, three, four o'clock in the morning. You haven't showered. You haven't taken care of yourself. You haven't ate anything good. You're doing this, which by the way, just so you know, it doesn't matter what kind of political aisle you find yourselves on or how you feel about the human condition. Study after study after study shows this isn't helping us. Over and over again. So what are you pouring into your body? And then, see, we live like this, and then we wonder why we're exhausted the next day. 
And then we wonder why we don't have time and we're short in our relationships. Because we don't have energy to pour into them. We don't have energy to pour into whatever that trial is that we're facing or whatever that worry is that we have. See, I think God created sleep so that we could take a break. So that we could actually take it. And what is take it? All of it. People, situations, it's exhausting. You ever notice that when you're tired, you feel miserable? And then you act miserable to yourself and to other people? So here's Elijah. He's exhausted. He's not taking care of himself. He's been through a lot. Did you know, and I believe this, that taking a nap and getting a good night's rest Maybe the most spiritual thing that some of you could do today. Just to rest. And then take time to eat well, and not for vanity's purpose, but for the sake of your soul. And so the very first thing, and I don't think it's an accident, the very first thing that when he's in the state that God does for him is he gives him a place to rest, and he gives him a place to eat. Take care of yourself. But then there's the other problem. This is probably the larger, bigger problem, is that he's isolated himself. In fact, when he goes into the cave at Mount Horeb, the thing that he says to God is, I am the only one left. I think it should come up. He says, I am the only one left. You ever felt like that? I'm the only one. I'm by myself. Nobody cares. I'm the only person that loves you, God. I'm the only one that's following you. I'm, in his case, I'm the only prophet that's on your side. And he's isolated himself physically and now emotionally and mentally he feels isolated. And what we see in the text, and you can read it in 1 Kings, but for sake of time, is God looks at him and he's like, no, you're not. You've, you've done this to yourself. Like you've isolated yourself from everybody. See, I think it's important to remember that we were made for relationships. And we need relationships when we go through those difficult times. We need to remember that it was God that said, it is not good for man to be alone. And when God says this, here's what's interesting, and you need to think about this on a, on a deeper level. When God tells Adam, which represents the beginning of mankind, that it's not good for man to be alone, here's the question. Was, was, man, was man alone? Was Adam alone? No, he had God. But even God says, it's not enough for it just to be me and you. You need relationship. You need other human beings. You need healthy relationships in your life. The key word there is healthy. People that can speak wisdom into your life. People that can walk alongside of you when you find yourself in these overwhelming situations and seasons. He created you for community. He created you for relationships. See, here's what's crazy, because the pushback is, well, you don't understand. The reason I've isolated myself is because it's people that made me feel this way. Yeah, but it's often people that are also the ones that help heal you. And so when you isolate yourself, you push away future healing because of pain from your past. And the people and relationships that you need might actually be waiting for you. So you see the end of the story, the way it takes place is, so they're in this cave, he gives them some food, gives them some water, lets them sleep, and then God tells them, he says, hey, so here's what's going to happen next. Um, you're actually going to get out of this cave, and you're going to go, and there's these group of people 
that you didn't even know were there. There's these other prophets and people. You're not by yourself. There's this group of people. You need to go to them, and you need to go find those people because those people right now are going to pour into you as you pour into them. And God gets him out of the cave. And you ready for this? He sends him to the people who've been waiting for him the entire time. And now his healing journey begins. See, I think it's important for us to realize the need for community, to not be alone. It's also important to realize that it's going to take some time when you're going through this stuff. You know, we, we went through the story pretty fast, but this is 40 days and 40 nights, right? I, I tell people all the time when I do counseling, like, hey, if it took you 10 years to get here, don't expect it to be fixed by tomorrow, it's going to take some time, but it's also going to take us acknowledging the steps that need to take place because my honest belief is tomorrow doesn't have to feel like today, but it doesn't happen by accident. You have to make choices. You have to be willing to grab some people. You have to be willing to be able to do some things, make some choices that will help get you closer to wholeness, and it takes one step at a time. See, that's the other important thing is, see, all of us in this room that are going through anything, like there's a, there's a next best step. And it may be different. Like my next best step might be different than your next best step. But there's a next best step to get us to where we need to go mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And you need to figure out what that step is. And here's the thing. If you feel so overwhelmed, you don't know what that next step is, you need to find somebody that loves you and cares about you. They can speak wisdom into your life. And say, hey, here's what's going on. Can you help me figure out what's next? Now, that's for us that are going through it. Let me real quickly give some advice for those of us that know somebody. I'm going to go through these real quick. Here's five steps that I've learned over the last 20 years that help people most of the time when they're going through this. And here's the very first step. Ready? You have to be willing to listen. Listen and keep your mouth shut. Don't think that your advice is good advice all the time. Most of the time, it's not. They'll tell you what you need, they need, if you're willing to listen. Don't feel like you have to fix them. Just listen. And if the opportunity presents itself, do you know what helps people sometimes is when you don't try to come in and fix it after you've listened and tell them how you've got it all figured out. What often helps sometimes is to return vulnerability with vulnerability. Me too. Man, I've struggled too. And don't get into a competition like, well, you know, this, this, no, it's not a ping pong match. It's just, yeah, I, I get it. Like life is hard. I understand. How can, like, Okay. Here's step three, and this is the part where some of you, especially moms and dads and husbands and spouses, we think we can fix people, but, but here's what you need to do. You need to, number three, encourage them to talk with a therapist or a counselor. I've been doing this for 20 years. Can I just go ahead and tell you, every single one of you needs counseling. And I only say that because I need it too. We all do. We need safe spaces we can talk about these things. We need help sometimes, especially if you're in a season where you're praying that prayer like Elijah. I don't know if I can go one more day. The fourth one, as a friend, you have to remind people of their worth. And sometimes the way you remind them of their worth is you just keep showing up. Which leads to our fifth one. 
You have to stand with them through the journey. Most of the time when people are going through these type of things, it's not a one-time conversation. And they need people that will get through the long haul with them because it's not going to change overnight. Now, there's so much more I could say. I've been researching this for years and reading and conversations. And let me go and say this. I don't think that today is going to fix anybody. It's the start of a conversation. It's the next best step that some of us need to take is just to acknowledge it. And I also can't ignore the spiritual, right? This is the thing, okay? Life is hard and overwhelming. Jesus promised it. But here's what you need to know. Some of us in this room are carrying things we weren't meant to carry by ourselves. Some of us in this room are carrying things we weren't meant to carry at all. And you keep carrying it and carrying it. And you've taken responsibility for things that you were not meant to carry because you don't have the power to carry it by yourself. And so when the storms of life comes down, this is why worship is so important. It's an exchange. It's a moment where you're able to say to God, God, I can't do this. And, and you know what? I don't know if I'm supposed to. That's where you step in. The Bible tells us that it's in our weakness that he's made strong. So in this story, there's this, there's this great detail where I kind of skipped over it on purpose because I got to wrap up. And, and so, um, so Elijah's in the cave and God looks at him and he says, what are you doing here? And the first time it comes across like a little bit like aggressive, like, what are you doing here? Which is, by the way, if you know somebody struggling with mental illness, don't say what's wrong with you, okay? Not a good place to start. So what are you doing here, okay? What are you doing here? Great question. Like, where, why are we here? Because here's what God's saying. You weren't meant for this. You weren't created for this. And so the Bible says that he goes out of the cave, out of hiding. And here's what happens next. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And sometimes what happens in worship when we're singing is we expect them to show up in the bass drum and in the guitar and all the crazy stuff. And it's that whisper. And for a second time, he asks them in a quiet voice. So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? He's been trying to do it all by himself, and it's not working. Worship is to trust someone who's invisible. And I get that it's weird to people to trust somebody, to give somebody a shift of responsibility to somebody we physically can't see. I understand that sounds weird, but here's what you have to know. Um, depression, anxiety, stress, despair, they're all invisible. But you feel it, don't you? In the same way that you feel God, that this peace that only God can give. Several years ago, um, Rick Warren, who was once dubbed America's pastor, I mean, at one point, one of the most famous Christians in the world, his son battled mental illness for years and eventually succumbed to it and took his own life. And the man that was once dubbed America's pastor said this. He says, let's not shame mental illness 
with judgment of spiritual weakness. As Christians, we believe this side of heaven, all disease, sickness, and pain is rooted in a world broken by sin. But there are real consequences to living amidst the mess. To oversimplify these complexities would be naive at best, negligent at worst. Faith should never undermine the necessity of doctors, of medications, and therapy, because we must deploy every effort afforded to us when we tackle our brokenness. I believe in the three Ps when it comes to healing. You need prayer, you need people, and sometimes you need pills. And we can't be afraid of any of them. The church is a place where we should be able to come as we are with our longings for what we hope to be. Eye to eye, we must be honest about our own struggles. What if our faith community was the place where you could find a listening ear, a hand to hold, and another loving human being with a compassionate and sensitive response? Jesus always pursued the weak with open arms. When we are broken and fragile, he can draw us close in ways that we've never known. And sometimes it's just a still, quiet voice that whispers. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your words. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. God, I pray that this is an opening for some people to be willing to just talk. And I pray for some people that know somebody or love somebody that's going through it. It's just a time for us to kind of reflect and think about what our next best step is and how we can listen to this person and walk through it with this person. And I pray for everybody that we know that if Elijah, the greatest prophet, went through this, that we're in good company, that it's okay, that sometimes life and situations can be overwhelming, but that doesn't mean that you don't love us, that doesn't mean that you don't care about us, and that doesn't mean you don't want what's best for us. God, for some of us, it's that reality that, that we're not meant to carry some of the stuff. And as we sing these next couple songs, maybe for some of us, we'll hear that still small voice tell us that. Remind us of our worth, our value, and our love, and remind us of what we were actually created for. And God, that for maybe some of us, we'll start to trust. We'll trust you that you will carry our burdens, that you will walk beside us. So we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Every week we come to this time, we celebrate communion. It's the hope that we have in Jesus. It's, it's that moment that he goes through, that dark moment himself. And so we take the bread which represents his broken body and the juice represents his blood. And we celebrate.